All right, good morning, Glad Tidings. And today we'll continue our series called My Life, His Life. Uh, how to live a legacy seven feet at a time, one day at a time. And today we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And last week we talked about my gifts, his gifts, and how everyone has a gift. And this week we're going to, um, to look at that again. So part two of my gifts, his gifts. I want to pause for just a moment and thank Tom and Connie for taking care of my wife and our young adult students that uh, went and visited you in the Philippines uh, several years ago. Um, you were amazing hosts. Uh, you're amazing missionaries. Uh, and my wife wants to thank you for sending her on the most uh, adventurous journey of her life. Uh, you assigned to her one of the uh, native pastors, and they went on this climbing excursion in the jungles. And uh, she's got stories to tell. The hut, the hut caught on fire. It was crazy. You got to go on a mission trip. You always come back with some amazing stories. But love you guys. Thanks for being here with us this morning. Uh, Another quick uh, announcement, very important announcement. Um, the month of October is National Pastor Appreciation Month. So for the month of October, I want you to appreciate me. <laughs> Not really, okay? What I do want you to do is I want you to join me in appreciating our associate pastors. Pastor Mark, Pastor Raphael, Pastor Jason, Pastor Drew, Pastor Chris are phenomenal pastors. And every month of October, we receive a special offering to bless them, to honor them. And we call it the double honor offering. We get that from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, where Paul says to Timothy, he says, he says, the elders of the church or the pastors of the church who direct the affairs of the church well, how many of you believe they do it well? are worthy, the Bible says, of double honor, of double honor. So next week, we're going to receive that double honor offering. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Think, pray, Lord, what can I do to bless our pastors? Um, if you bless them, that would bless me, okay? They're an amazing team to work with. Also, this Sunday is Team, this, this Sunday is team Link Sunday, and, and in your bulletin is a Team Link card. If you'll pull that out this morning, you'll notice all the different ministries. We have over 800 volunteers here at Glad Tidings to make it happen, and we want you to be one of them. And so after service today, if you'll take your Team Link card, jot the ministry you're interested in, and stop by our Team Link, which is across the hall in room 201 through 203, and uh, they'll get you signed up this morning. Say this with me. Everyone has a gift. Every one of us has a gift. Everyone in this room this morning has a gift given to you from God. We talked about this last week. A gift is something, is, it's not something that you earn. It's not something that you go to school for. It's not something that you practice it's this God-given DNA that God puts in every human being on the planet. Every one of us is born with a gift. Over time, that gift is revealed, that gift is developed, and that gift God has given to you, not just to earn a paycheck. Many of you earn a paycheck because you're gifted in that career. But God gives you a gift to advance the kingdom of God, the rule and the authority of God in the earth. Everybody has a gift. Now, here's what I know about gifts. The Bible says this in Proverbs. It says that a gift makes room for a man and ushers him into the presence of great men. 
A gift makes room for a man. It opens a way up. Can I tell you, a gift, your gift will open doors for you, but your character will keep that door open. Your gift will open doors for you, but your character will keep that door open. I think we've all seen people who are amazingly gifted in some way, but that gift is put on the shelf because their character could not support, it could not carry that gift. I've met amazing musicians, I've met amazing leaders who are not playing, they're not leading, they're not using their gift because they made it all about the gift and not about their character. So this morning, we could talk about gifts again, but I'm going to pause that and I want to talk about character this morning. Here at Glad Tidings, for you to use your gift, for you to serve, there are three character qualities that we are looking for from you. We could have made the list a dozen, but we narrowed it down to three simple character qualities we're looking for. The first is a servant's heart. The second is a teachable attitude. And the third is an evident pursuit of Jesus. Let me illustrate those quickly for you. Philip, we preached about him last week. Philip had a servant's heart. He was willing to serve in the area he was needed, not necessarily the area he was gifted. Philip taught us last week that a servant or a servant's heart says, I will serve wherever the need is, even if it's not my area of giftedness. Some of you this morning, you don't know what your gift is. And Philip last week taught us that if we serve in the area of need, God will reveal our gift. Philip's gifting was evangelism. He was an evangelist. But he didn't start as an evangelist leading a revival in Samaria. Where did he start? In the kitchen. Right? And as he served in that area of need, God revealed his gift. Philip had a servant's heart. Mary had an evident pursuit of Jesus. Who's Mary? Remember Mary and Martha, the two sisters in the gospel? Right? They invited Jesus over to the house and Martha was busy serving in the kitchen. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet in the living room, listening to what Jesus said. And Martha got upset and told Jesus, hey, I'm working in the kitchen. Tell Mary to get in here and help me. And Jesus said, no, I'm not going to tell her that. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. And what we learn from Mary is, is Mary had an evident pursuit of Jesus. And we learn from Mary that sitting comes before serving. Sitting and listening to Jesus comes before serving Jesus. So here at Glad Tidings, we encourage everybody to sit and to serve. Which comes first? Sitting. That's exactly what you're doing right now. And hopefully you're hearing the voice of God in our services through the, through the music, through the messenger, through whoever, right? You're sitting, and now we're asking you to serve. One's not, one's not, I mean, they're both important. They're both necessary, but sitting comes before serving. So Mary teaches us what an evident pursuit of Jesus looks like. Now, Naaman, here's, here's who we, this is the character we're going to look at today. Naaman teaches us how important a teachable attitude is. Naaman, who's Naaman? Back in the Old Testament, here we go. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse number 1. 2 Kings 5, verse 1. 
And I'm going to read from the New Living Translation the story of Naaman. The king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him the Lord had given Aram great victories. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, very gifted, a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. At this time, the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. Verse number three. One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master, Naaman, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. I mean, you know, this little girl, this little Jewish maid, she knew something about God. She knew the cure for leprosy. Verse number four. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. And so Naaman started out, watch this, carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. How many of you like just one pound of that gold, right? And, uh, and 10 sets of clothing. And all the women said, amen. Verse 6, the letter to the king of Israel said this, with this letter, I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. Oh boy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and he said, this man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay. He sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. There's some divine authority, some divine confidence for you. Verse number nine. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and he waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Verse 11. But Naaman became angry and he stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out to meet me, he said. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, the Abana and the Farfar better than any of the rivers of Israel? Why shouldn't, I, why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? And so watch this. So Naaman turned away in his rage. So Naaman turned and went away in his rage. Verse 13. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he simply says, Go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. And he was healed. And then Naaman and his entire party went back to find the man of God. And they stood before him. And Naaman said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. Let's pause for a moment. 
How many, if you were Elisha, you would accept that gift that day? 750 pounds of silver, not so bad. 150 pounds of gold, I kind of like that. What does Elisha do with this gift? Verse number 16, But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives whom I serve, I will not accept any gifts. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Why? Church, listen. Ask yourself, why is it that Elisha would not accept Naaman's gifts? Why would he not accept them? Now take that question, tuck it away in the back of your head, because at the end of the message, you will come back and we'll answer that question. Let's look at Naaman. Naaman, he was a gifted man. He was a gifted military commander, yet in spite of all of his gifts, he had leprosy. He had leprosy. Let me ask you this morning, what's your gift? What's your leprosy? See, everyone has a gift and everyone has a leprosy. Leprosy represents suffering. Everyone here today is suffering in some way. Maybe you're suffering because of your sin. Sin, the Bible says, separates us from God and causes spiritual death. You are dead in your sins today because of your leprosy, your, your, your sinful condition. That might be why you're suffering today, because of your sin. Maybe you're suffering today because you made some bad choices. Maybe you're suffering today because somebody else made some bad choices for you. But I would venture to say that everybody here has a gift and everybody here has a leprosy. Everybody has a place of suffering their experience in their life. And here's what Naaman teaches us. He teaches us that your gift cannot remove your leprosy. Your gift cannot remove your suffering. How many of you know somebody super gifted, like they're incredibly gifted, and yet there's a part of their life that is so broken that they're, you know, they're suffering horribly in, right? You think about this for a moment. There's a lot of gifts on this platform. We get to enjoy those gifts and, and experience those gifts every week. But you don't know what's going on in their lives. You don't know what kind of leprosy they have. You don't know what kind of suffering they're going through, right? Because the reason is, is there's a quiet leprosy. There's a, a silent suffering going on in a lot of people's lives. And usually you know nothing about it. All you see is this gift. Oh, if I could just be like them. But you have no idea the leprosy they carry. The suffering they're going through. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a leprosy. And your gift cannot remove your suffering. Only God can, and God can remove it only when you have a teachable attitude. A teachable attitude says four things, and I'm going to go through them fairly quickly this morning. The first thing that a teachable attitude says is, I need help. Let's practice that this morning. I need help. When's the last time those three words came out of your mouth? I know for me, a lot of times it's the words that come out of my mouth sound more like, I got it or I got this, right? Do you need something? No, I'm fine, right? Hardly do you hear me say, I need help. And I've realized over the years that it's my pride, it's my stinking, thinking pride that gets me in trouble more than anything else. Something's broken in my life. Oh, I can fix it. 
And then I try to fix it, and it's more broken. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, about 14 years ago, I went to the Humane Society, and I, uh, I bought a cat on sale. Dave Ramsey's influence in my life. $30, I bought the cat shots, neutered the whole nine deal, and I brought Tigger home that day, and we've had Tigger for 14 years, and Tigger is still alive and kicking and killing everything that moves in the neighborhood. <laughs> and brought this cat home, and, and uh, two weeks later, I hear my wife in the kitchen. She's screaming for help. Help, help, help. And I run in the kitchen. What's going on? Here, Tigger is in the kitchen sink. She's giving Tigger a bath. You don't give cats baths. But she didn't know that. She didn't grow up with cats. I said, what are you doing? She goes, well, it's raining outside. And, and Tigger came in with, with his paws all covered in mud. And I, I was going to give him a bath. I said, just put him in the garage for 10 minutes and he'll be clean. It's self-cleaning oven. You know, that's kind of how cats are. They take care of themselves. The first thing a teachable attitude says is, I need help. You cry for help. Your arm is broken, you call the doctor. Your car is broken, you call the mechanic. Your sink is broken, you call the plumber. Your marriage is broken, you stop calling. Your finances are broken, you stop calling, right? We stop calling when you're broken on the inside, you stop calling. We know who to call when the car is broken, right? Don't call me, right? Somehow we, we stop calling and we wait till we're, we're at the edge of divorce or the edge of bankruptcy. And then finally, you know, you know, I'm going to bankruptcy court tomorrow. Pastor, can you help me? And I said, you know, I could have helped you 12 months ago, but I can't help you today. Right? Should have taken FPU a year ago or Financial Peace University a year ago. See, the first thing that, an ad, that a, a teachable attitude says is I need help. What's your suffering? What do you need help with? I met with our pastors recently. We, we meet um, in our own small group. And, and I asked them a powerful question a couple weeks ago. I said, what do you need? We went around the table and everybody shared what they needed. And it's a question that if you're a leader, and many of you are leaders here today, you're in a position where you're always giving and you're always being called on to help everybody else. When's the last time somebody sat down with you and looked you eyeball to eyeball and said, what do you need? And usually what happens is this. Somebody asks you that question and you go, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? Just, what do you need? If you met a stranger on the street and they said, well, what do you need? You might say, I need a nap. I need some rest. Or, you know, I, this is broken in my life. I think it's a powerful question that perhaps we can ask each other more. You know, if somebody's angry... There's a need behind that. And it would be a powerful thing to, to stop and say, hey, hey, I noticed you're really upset. Tell me, what is it that you need? You might get some powerful responses. The second question that a teachable attitude asks is this, or the, um, the, the second thing that a teachable attitude says is, is this, I will not be offended. Say that with me. I will not be offended. At first, Naaman was, uh, was offended in a big way. He came a long way to see Elisha. He brought some expensive gifts. He was expected an impressive meeting with the prophet. Then he expected Elisha to call on God, wave his hand over him, over his leprosy, and he would be healed. But here's what happens in the story as we read. Elisha does not even have the courtesy to open the door and greet the guy. 
How many of you know that Elisha did not have the gift of hospitality? He sends his messenger. Listen, you, this is a small little thing, leprosy. Just sends his messenger out there with a message, right? And this greatly offends Naaman. Naaman's attitude is, I can't believe this. He won't even come out and meet me. Doesn't he know who I am? I am the gifted, the great military leader. I am Naaman. Surely the prophet would like to meet a gifted man such as I. And how dare he insult me by sending out his little messenger to give me the news. Right? See, everyone gave Naaman preferential treatment because of his giftedness. And the prophet knew that. And so he says, you know what? I am not going to feed into that. I'm going to send out my messenger to give the message. And Naaman becomes offended. And the Bible says that he turned and he went away in a rage. That's road rage. He got in his chariot and he drove away. (laughs) He turned away in rage. And instead of being healed, he remained a leper. He remained a leper. You see, many people would rather be offended than be healed. It's a sad truth. They'd, they'd rather not humble themselves. They'd, they'd rather not carry that teachable attitude. They'd rather not go, oh, you know, I'm just so glad I have the answer. Even though the, the prophet didn't see me face to face, I'll take the messenger. You know, just, just, just say the word and it'll be done. But instead, he got offended, and he would, rather, he would rather be offended than healed. Isn't that crazy? And that's the way the story started. Imagine you're not feeling well, and so you go to the doctor, and the doctor says, I can help you feel better. Here's my advice. Change your diet, right? Begin exercise and lose some weight. And you can be offended by that and go, hey, doc, you know, I, I think you're body shaming here. You've really offended me, Right? And, and Doc, I really don't like your prescription. How about a pill? Just give me a pill. Help me feel better, Doc. Are, are you with me this morning? Don't be offended by my illustration because the teachable attitude says I will not be offended, right? So the doctor says, here's what you need to do, right? And the person walks away offended rather than being healed that day. A gentleman came to our church several years ago and he said, tell me about your church. Before I could tell him, he began to tell me about the church he came from. He said, I used to go to another church where I attended an overcomers class. He said, the instructor offended me when he told me I needed to take a shower. And I told him he could go to hell. That's what he said. So he comes to me and this guy says to me, he goes, Pastor, what should I do? I said, take a shower. Don't be offended. And don't tell me to go to hell. I've got a better place in mind. See, and I told him, I said, listen, you can come here. You're welcome to come. Glad tidings. We're going to love you. We're going to love you to pieces. But I, but I promise you this at some point in our journey together, doing life together, you're going to get offended. At some point, you're going to get offended. And at that moment, you can say, you know what? I'm going to live with this offense and live with my leprosy, or I'm going to have a teachable attitude and I'm going to be cured. And we have that decision. I was in a prayer meeting, a small little prayer meeting a couple years ago with one of our team members, and there were several people in the room, and this, this gentleman had this gift. When he prayed, it was just this, 
you know, it was like this poetic thing going on and, and he would just, and, but the problem was it, it was just going on and on and on and he dominated the prayer meeting and nobody else was able to pray. He just, the whole thing. You ever been in one of those prayer meetings, right? Hopefully I wasn't leading it, right? So, so I pulled him aside afterwards and said, hey man, you know, I love that you're here for prayer, but man, let's let other people pray too. And He's like, yeah, yeah, okay, whatever. So the next week, we're in the same prayer meeting again, and on and on, here it comes, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. So I pulled him aside afterwards and said, man, I love you, but I'm going to ask you to now pray silently in the next time we come together in the prayer meeting. He's like, what do you mean silently? And I said, that means I can see your lips moving, but no, no noise is coming out. He got seriously bent out of shape with that. Very, very offended. And what happens is this, is if you ask somebody to stop using their gift, you find out real quick where their identity is. And it was obvious this man's identity was in his gifting and not in his character. Because when I asked him not to speak, he said, no, I'm going to do it anyway. Are you with me? See, your gift will open doors for you, but your character will keep those doors open. Here's what happens when you take offense. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 19. The Bible says an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. In ancient times, strong cities had these huge walls around them to keep people out. And what happens is, is when you become offended, what happens is you put up a huge wall around you to keep people out, to keep them from coming into your life. But the problem with offense, the problem with those walls is you're keeping out the very people that God is sending to heal you of your suffering. And so at some point you have to say, you know what, I am not going to be offended. A teachable attitude says, I will not be offended. I will be healed in Jesus' name. I will not be offended. I will be healed in Jesus' name. Everybody has blind spots. And only other people can see those blind spots. Don't be offended when they point them out to you. The third thing that a teachable attitude says is this. I have something to learn. I have something to learn. Did you know that the word disciple means learner? So if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are a learner of Jesus. That word disciple occurs 269 times in the New Testament. The word Christian appears appears three times in the New Testament. We call ourselves Christians. I'm a Christian, right? But really, those three times that are mentioned where the word Christian is mentioned, they're always referring to the disciples of Jesus, the learners of Jesus. So if you're a disciple of Christ this morning, that means you have something to learn because that's who you are. You're a disciple. You're a learner. Leaders are learners. When you stop learning, you stop leading. I'll have people come say, Pastor, how come you won't let me teach a class? And I'll say, because teachers are teachable. How come you won't let me lead? Because leaders are leadable. Show me a teachable attitude, right? And I'll let you teach. Show me a teachable attitude. I have something to learn and you'll be able to lead. It's pretty simple. Naaman, he was a very strong leader, and he came to the conclusion, even in his strong leadership, I have something to learn. And he finally heard it through the men in his company. 
Naaman's advice came from those you would least expect. First, it came from this little Jewish girl, this maid. It came through the maid. Then it came through the messenger from Elisha. And then it came through his own men. God had to send three messengers to get his attention. It didn't come only through one. It came through all three. And I tell you this morning that sometimes those underneath you, those who serve underneath you, have something to say. Can I tell you this morning that God knows exactly how to get your attention? I was studying some years ago for a sermon, and my son walked in the room. He says, hey, Dad, do you ever pray when you study for a message, or do you just study for messages? Now, God's using a 13-year-old to let me know, hey, don't seek a sermon, seek the Savior, right? So God speaks through, through young men. Remember, remember Samuel? God spoke through a young boy named Samuel to get to an old man named Eli. Eli was the priest. He was the priest of Israel. Yet he no longer had ears to hear what God was saying to him. So God had to speak to Eli through a boy. How many of you know God is no respecter of age? race, or place. God will use whoever he wants to use. He'll use whoever he wants to use. A teachable attitude says, I have something to learn, and I'm willing to learn it through whoever. It could be the maid. It could be the messenger, right? It could be the people who report to me. God can use those people to heal me of my suffering. The fourth thing that a, teach, that a uh, teachable attitude says is, I am willing to try something new. I love this one. I'm willing to try something new. How many of you love change? Nobody's raising their hand. Even good change is hard, right? I'm willing to try something new. Naaman had never dipped seven times in the Jordan River. That seemed foolishness to him. There are some really nice rivers in Damascus. Why don't we just go over there? Why does it have to be the River Jordan? I don't understand. This new method is driving me crazy, right? Listen, principles never change. Methods do change. Jesus always healed the sick, but he always did it in different ways. One day he spits in the mud. With, he, makes, he makes this paste out of his saliva, spits in the mud. I'm glad that blind man that day wasn't a germaphobic. That's all I've got to say. God used a different method that day to bring about healing, about uh, recovery from suffering that day. But, but this guy, this blind guy that Jesus healed, had to be willing to try something new. Who cares what method God uses to heal you? Right? He can do it through medicine. He can do it through surgery. He can do it supernaturally. And that's just one example. Some of you have physical ailments. How does God want to heal that in my body? But some of you are broken on the inside. How does God want to heal that on the inside? Are you open to some things that maybe God would use? Are you open to counseling? There was a day and age when I got saved, you know, some 30, almost 30 years ago. I got saved and going to a counselor would be like a lack of faith. I'm like, come on. God gives various gifts. One of them is the ability to understand what's going on inside somebody. So be willing to try something maybe you've never done before to be healed. I think David's a good example of that. David shows up on the battlefield that day and his older brothers are yelling at him, what are you doing here? 
Why are you here? And they get in this little tussle, this little fight, right? We love the story about the young David who comes up, right, and brings out his sling and defeats the, the, the Goliath. We love the story. But here's the challenge today. We've got young millennials in our congregation. We've got young people in our congregation. We've got young Davids in our congregation. And God may do something new through the young people. He may do something through them that maybe he wouldn't do through me. I don't know why. But here's the deal. How do we respond when some of those young Davids show up on the scene? How do we respond as the older brothers, right? Do we fight with the young Davids or do we come alongside them and teach them how to fight? If you're a young David out here this morning, let me speak to you for just a moment. As a young David, my encouragement to you is this, is is to be faithful in the small things and God will promote you. Be faithful in the small things and God will promote you. Be faithful to do the obscure thing, the thing that that nobody sees, like David out on the hill shepherding. Nobody saw David out there playing his harp. Nobody saw him worshiping in private. Can I get an amen? See, before he ever led worship publicly, he was a worshiper privately. Before he was a warrior publicly, he was a warrior privately. And he killed the lion and he killed the bear. And nobody was looking. Nobody was watching. Nobody was standing. And nobody was sending him the text after his, after his great victory. Saying, man, that was awesome how you killed that lion today. He did a lot of things in private before ever God ever promoted him to the public place. And when he got to the public place... He wasn't some, hey, look at me, show off. He wasn't pushing his way in and, well, I've done this and I've done that. He went to authority. He went to the Saul in his life. He went to King Saul. And he said, I'm going to take care of this guy, but I need your permission. I need your blessing. And Saul said, that's great. Try this armor on too, right? And David tried the armor on. He goes, man, this doesn't fit me. And you know, and Saul said, okay, you know, what are you going to do? Well, I've got this sling and the stone, right? See, Saul had to be willing to try something new too. He'd, he'd never allowed a young boy without any armor go and fight a Goliath. Now, how many of you know that day, everybody was glad that King Saul, right, and little boy David were willing to try something new. See, a teachable attitude says, I'm willing to try something new. The last thought I want to leave with you is this, and then we're going to wrap it up. And we're going to encourage you to go to Team Link, okay? And take this teachable attitude with you as you serve in your area of gifting. So as much as this story that we've just read is about a teachable attitude, it's even more so a story about the grace of God in Naaman's life. And here's why. Naaman was an enemy of God. Naaman was an enemy of God. He wasn't part of Israel. He was one of Israel's enemies. And he was an enemy of God. But God loved him so much. God loved Naaman so much that he allowed a little Jewish girl to be captured and taken out of Israel, taken away from her family, and taken away from her country. And God somehow allowed her to serve, to become a servant, a maid in Naaman's household. Why? Because she had the good news of a cure. This little Jewish girl, she knew the answer. She knew the cure. And God allowed her to go through all these very difficult 
traumatic circumstances. Why? So God could put her right in a place. So God could reach after one of his enemies, a guy named Naaman, so Naaman could hear the good news. You see, in the same way, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He was torn from his father's side in heaven. Jesus was planted in a land, in a foreign land, a foreign country, not his own, planet Earth. Right? Why? Why did God do that? So you and I could have the good news today. Let me ask you today, what is your leprosy? What are you suffering from? Maybe you're here today and you're, you're suffering from your sin. And you'll be honest about that. So I have leprosy, Pastor. It's called sin. My sin, my evil behavior, my wickedness, my unrighteousness, whatever you want to call it, right, has separated me from God. It has separated me from God. So here's the question. If that's you this morning, will you do like Naaman did? Will you go and wash? Will you go and wash? Will you take that simple command that God gave the prophet? Go and wash. At first, he didn't like that. That was too simple. Why not some big fancy prayer wave handover thing? No, go and wash in the river. You know, I've learned this over the years, that I think God's number one answer to most every problem we have is to first go and wash. A lot of times we don't, we, we want to continue living what we're doing and have it our way kind of a thing, right? We want God's blessing, but we still have these little private sin issues going on, right? And God's number one answer is first this, go and wash. Some of you are suffering today. You have leprosy today. You're suffering because of your sin. The answer is not try harder. And the answer is not even bring gifts to God. Let's go back to the question I asked at the beginning. Why would Elisha not receive these gifts from Naaman? And the reason why Elisha would not receive these gifts from Naaman is because God's grace cannot be purchased. God's grace cannot be purchased. No, Naaman, I won't accept 750 pounds of silver. No, Naaman, I will not accept 150 pounds of gold. Why? Because God's grace cannot be purchased by you. It's already been purchased by Jesus. It's been paid in full. Some of you here, you're suffering today. And if you had the money to be cured, you'd put the money on the table. God says, I don't want your money. I don't want your gifts. I want your humility. I want your teachable attitude. I want you to go wash. Go wash. And allow God to cleanse you. And allow God to remove that suffering. Allow God to remove that separation from your life. But it takes the humility to take some steps. Seven steps a day. To go wash. So here's how we're going to conclude today. We're going to pretend this is the River Jordan right here. We're going to pretend God is saying to us, this is the place of washing today, right? Say, okay, Jesus is the one who washes away my sin, who washes away my sickness, who washes away my suffering. Listen, if you need God to wash you today, if you need God to deliver you from your suffering today, would you come? Would you come? I want everybody to stand to your feet. What can wash away my sins? nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. We're going to sing a chorus together. And as we do, listen, if you're here today, right, and you have, you have never been washed, you've never had a spiritual bath, this is your time. I want you to come humble yourself and come to this front and we're going to pray together. If you're here today and you're a believer and you realize that you've been carrying an offense and that's why you still have leprosy, that's why you're still suffering. And God's saying to you this morning, go and wash. Go and wash. Let's sing this chorus together as you come. Jesus washes me Oh, the blood of Jesus was shed us from our suffering, to forgive us of our sins. God, I thank you that you're not asking for gifts from us today. You're asking for humility. You're asking for faith. God, would you do for everyone in this room what you did for Naaman? God, would you heal us of our leprosy, God? God, our gifts cannot remove our suffering. Only you can, God. May we carry, God, with us that character of teachable attitude. May we carry with us that humility, God. God, you're so attracted to humility, Lord. So, God, I pray today that you would, you would save and you would heal in these altars today. God, thank you for your grace this morning. We're going to continue to sing this chorus. I'm going to invite our prayer workers to come. If you'd like prayer, they're here to pray with you this morning. Be reminded that we do have Team Link across the hall. And uh, take your Team Link card with you and get signed up to serve on a ministry team. God bless you this morning. Hey, I'm Jesus.